You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at SBTSongs or check us out at ChrisBlair.com. Hey everyone, it's Chris Blair, and today on Stories Behind the Songs, we are joined by my buddy Adam James. I met Adam in 2009 when we were at the Key West Songwriters Festival, and we hit it off and have been friends ever since. Adam has been in Nashville since 2009, and he's going to share some of his experiences in the industry with us today, including co-writing Kenny Chesney's number one hit, Knowing You, that he wrote with Brett James and Kat Higgins. Adam's going to take us into the writing room, discuss the process of coming up with the concept, and he's going to reflect on everything that's unfolded after hearing the news that this would be cut by Kenny Chesney. Adam also has notable cuts on Cody Johnson's brand new album, Leather, with the songs Double Down and Whiskey Bent. He's going to talk about the excitement of hearing Cody cut these songs and dives into how Jelly Roll chose Whiskey Bent to be featured on because he resonated with that song so much. We also take a closer look at some of the lyrics from this song, and Adam plays a small portion of it for us, so it's really cool. Check that out. Adam has been consistently writing with a cut coming out on Randall King's upcoming album, Into the Neon, titled Burns Like Her. Give Adam a follow in the liner notes below. Stay up to date with what he's been working on and what's coming out. And if you enjoyed the stories on this episode, give us a follow. We always appreciate that. We release brand new episodes every Tuesday, and we thank you guys so much for listening. Also, as always, a big shout out to our sponsors, Sennheiser, Imperfect Esthetician, and All Clear In-Ears. If you're looking for a good set of in-ear monitors, make sure to take advantage of our code SBTSONGS at the checkout, and you get 10% off. All right, let's get to it. Here is Adam James. All right, here we are with Adam James here at the listening room. How you doing, brother? Wonderful. So happy to be here. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's good to, to get out of the house in this uh, snowmageddon that we're I'm in right now. So thankful that I get to come spend an hour or nine with you today. Yes. I've seen Paw Patrol movie too many times. I'm <laughs> <laughs> ready to talk about something. Yeah. Else. How old are your kids? Six and three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're right there together. I'm four and six. So yeah. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. Let's go talk about music for a yeah. little bit. Well, so uh, you moved to Nashville in 2009 from Illinois. Correct. Um, so walk us through how you got in music. I always start that way. Mm-hmm. And what moved you to Nashville? Yeah, I I knew I wanted to do this from a very early age. My first concert was Garth Brooks in 1993 or four. Yeah. I came to the Illinois State Fair. And it's just one of those things, man, you see you see someone just command a crowd like that and, and sing real songs about things. And you just know that. I, I knew personally that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, when you're when you're five or six, it's kind of hard to tell people that you want to be a songwriter. So I kind of kept playing sports and I kept doing the normal, like, rural Illinois thing. And I got to junior high and I, I was playing basketball. And I thought I was going to the NBA, man. I really did, you know. But <laughs> the older that I got, I, you know. Got the eighth grade, got the ninth grade eventually. And the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, no one has gone pro from my high school. (laughs) And I don't think anyone has even went D1 for basketball. So, um, you know, maybe I was wise beyond my years at that point. But I I started picking around on a guitar that my dad had bought. I think he was planning on, you know, messing around with it. And uh, as most guitars do, they get purchased and they get put in a closet. And I picked that one up and I... 
I thought I was playing uh, Sweet Home Alabama, but it was not <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama. But that that's what got me kind of, you know, really interested in it. And then I quit basketball, much to the dismay of my coaches and my friends and the whole community. And then the next year after I quit, I, I did this homecoming pageant. This is like kind of like a joke kind of homecoming deal that guys do at my school. And I played a Goo Goo Dolls song. It was my first time performing like in front of people and everyone went crazy. And that was kind of like my Beatles moment. And I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So I just, I've always been drawn to songwriting though. Like even back, you know, going back to those, the Garth era of the nineties, whether it was Brooks and Dunn or Tracy Lawrence or Joe Diffie or Reba, like all of their songs meant something to me before I even knew what they meant. If, yeah. that, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, absolutely. The first time I heard the dance, I, I was like, you know, five and I cried and I don't know why, because I didn't have the capacity to know what that right. song was about, but that's just what music does. And that's what that type of music specifically does. And it just has this power that I've, I've just really been um, interested in since then. So it's always been songwriting for me, um, even at a young age. So I'm Nashville was the, the ultimate place to move to. And I made that move like right after I graduated college. Yeah. Like the day after I, yeah. I believe. So it was late August, 2009. So I graduated from whatever, you know, semester I had done. I'd done a, a summer semester to kind of wrap up yeah. my degree. And then I moved down here and it was, that was it. Yeah. Hit the ground running. Yeah. Very similar stories. My, the first concert I ever went to was Garth. Yep. And, uh, man, where, we, where did he, where'd you see him? Uh, in St. Louis. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just the Keel Center. Uh, or was it was it actually, it was, uh, it was called uh Riverport Amphitheater okay, yeah. at that point. Yep. Uh, I think it's UMB bank or something now, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, it was, it just, it changed everything for me. I mean, yep. it was the first time I'd seen a live concert and seen Garth. It was just like, wow, this yep. is larger this is than cool. life. Yeah. Was he blowing stuff up at that point? Yeah, <laughs> you know, blowing stuff up and swinging from the rafters and, you know, climbing, you know, climbing the lighting trusses yep. and just, yeah, it was, it was like, man, this is, yeah, this is it. He's been doing slick stuff and neat stuff for a long time. Yeah. We, uh, Garth played, uh, and we'll get back to you in a minute, but, uh, Garth played here at the listening room, uh, um, a couple years ago. I didn't know this. Yeah, we did, uh, we did this show with, uh, Victoria Shaw okay. and, uh, and Garth and, um, and we stood back and we, we had like this 30, 45 minute conversation about how like wow. George Strait got him into music. And I was like, dude, the listening room is here because of you. Basically, right. it was like, you right. know, you're the reason I moved to Nashville and chase this dream and all this. It was it was just really cool. He's just he's a you know, I've, I've had the privilege of meeting him and talking to him a half a dozen times or so now. And he always remembers me and just very humble and just. Yeah. Yep. So. That's what, um, that's what you love to hear yeah. when you meet your heroes. Yeah. For sure. I haven't, I haven't met him yet, but one of these days. Yeah. And when you do, he'll, he'll see you a year later and be <laughs> like, Adam, what's up, man? So, all right. So, Amazing. uh, you move here right after college. What, what was it like when you first moved to town? Um, you know, I, I, I love digging into like anybody out there listening that is new. Yeah. To Nashville yep. and just trying to get into songwriting. Yep. Um, or maybe hasn't even moved here yet. Um, you know, what was it like for you when you first moved? How did you build your camp and find your first pub deal? Yeah, I have to say that as a disclaimer, I was coming off of 
you know, the no, no social media thing. Like that was not yeah. really around yet. Facebook was a, th- Facebook was a thing. MySpace. And Twitter was a thing. <laughs> and MySpace was a thing, but it wasn't the great connector yeah. yet. Yeah. Like you can't get on Instagram and see like, you know, listening room has these 20 shows this week or whiskey jams doing this or, you know, fill in the blank of like 20 different venues and, and social gathering concerts that we have now. So it was difficult because there, there wasn't that right. I remember vividly like picking up the Nashville scene magazine and looking at third and Lindsley and being like, okay, here's Monday night. They got this Tuesday night. They got this, or I would, they would have shows at the Rutledge if you remember that yeah, place yeah, or um, exit in or, you know, fill in the blank. So I remember going to see just hundreds of shows at that point, because that's kind of how you did it. But I guess all I'm trying to say is uh, it's awesome now that we have Instagram and those kind of things that if you move to town today, you pick up your phone and you can immediately get plugged in on thousands of people, thousands of shows to go yeah. to situations where you can go meet people that you're probably going to end up being friends with and and working with down the road. So for me, it was a little, um, is kind of antiquated, but it's, it's the same, it's the same game for everyone. I moved here and I didn't know what co-writing was. I didn't know how to do it. I just sat in my apartment down on, uh, in Hillsborough village. My first apartment was on Fairfax Avenue and I sat there and I wrote songs by myself and, I made sure I booked an open mic or a writer's night or something like every week just so I could go and play a new song there just to kind of force myself to write new songs. And yeah. after doing that enough, like you, you, you end up meeting people that are like-minded to you. You end up meeting people that know this person or know that person. And then you kind of just start webbing together um, a network of people. And that leads to, you know, co-writing for the first time and that leads to maybe someone knows a publisher maybe you wrote a song that's good enough that you should hey my friend's a publisher my friend's friend blah 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 works for so and so and then you get to go in and play them your songs and then kind of start to snowball as far as like the publishing game goes so that happened for me pretty early looking back um because i signed my first deal in january of 2011 so that was a little over a year i guess but I wasn't, you know, staying home and waiting on them to come to me. I was yeah. going out and trying to get them by playing everywhere I could and, and meeting everyone I could and doing all those things. So even though, you know, I was picking up a magazine and going on MySpace and looking for shows to play, it's it, the game is the same, right? We, we just have different um, capabilities of getting to those things now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was my journey. And um I should also say that, you know, even though you get a publishing deal, that doesn't mean you're going to step in and day one, like write a hit song. Cause yeah. I was, yeah. I got my hit song, um, 10 years, almost exactly to when I signed my first publishing deal. So yeah, you get invited to the dance, right? But that doesn't mean you get to like, <laughs> to get to write the hit or, or whatever. That's a great metaphor. But, yeah. Um, it's just a journey and, just getting in there and, and working and and some some guys and girls do get their first deal and then the next year they get a massive cut and then maybe that goes on and gets to have a hit and stuff like that and that's incredible 
and that just wasn't my story. Um, so you just have to take it as it comes and, and learn from all of that stuff. And for me, I was able to do the 10,000 hours inside the writing room, Yeah, you know, writing hundreds of songs a year for a decade. And then you get into the position where people care about your songs now. And I, I don't feel blindsided by what it takes to create another one because I had so much time and experience ma making them already. Right. Like I, I hadn't written 20 songs and then had a hit and right. be like, Hey, do that again. And I'm like, I'm still in the infancy of how to write us, how to write a song. Honestly. Yeah. I've written at this point, I've written thousands songs. So when someone's, you know, when a song with, with Kenny or, or whoever blows up, then they want more songs from you. I, I didn't feel nervous or, um, worried that I wouldn't be able to do it again because I'd been doing it so much. Yeah. So I had already had that muscle built up where, uh, I wasn't scared to, to get back in there and, and, and write another one. You spent the time getting your master's degree. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or doctorate or what, however yeah. long 10 <laughs> yeah. years is. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing well, surgeries at this point. Yeah. Um, that's a good segue. Let's, let's just dive right into that, uh, for the stories behind the song. So take me into the room with Kat Higgins mm -hmm. and Brett James, mm -hmm. the day that you guys wrote Knowing You. We wrote Knowing You, I think it was in September of 2019 or 18. I'd have to look at my phone and I left it over there. <laughs> um, it was a special day. I, I'd written with Kat a few times prior and I'd, I think we'd written with Brett once prior to that. And, you know, I, f I feel like my greatest trait in the room or the thing that I have to offer the most is typically an idea that um, hopefully hasn't been written yet or hasn't been said a certain way. And I feel like that day was exactly that. And in hindsight, I probably should have, you know, done a little bit more homework because Brett is so great. And he's so prolific for writing for certain artists, whether it's Kenny or whether it's Carrie Underwood or yep. fill in the blank with five other artists um, or, or 25. <laughs> but um, I should have done my homework and said, oh, here's two great Kenny Chesney ideas. Here's two great Carrie Underwood ideas. Here's two, two of these. I didn't do that. I just kind of came in with this one idea in, in my pocket and it was knowing you and just how you set up the idea with the conversational thing like knowing you you're doing this right now right like that's just a very uh common thing that we say in in our vernacular and i had that and i had the twist like you know they're not with you anymore whether they passed away whether you broke up but it was good knowing you that was the kind of mm -hmm. that was all i had i didn't have the music i didn't have anything it was just kind of that lyrical device of you know i'm knowing you you're doing this paint that picture that way and then landing it with uh, I do it all over because it was good knowing you. So that's all I had. And I remember Brett and Kat both reacted po like positively to that idea. And then they just kind of started running with it. And I don't remember why it ended up being a waltz, <laughs> but maybe that was just something that I was playing or I think the biggest trick though, in, in songwriting for me, the, when I've, I have no come nowhere close to cracking the code per se, but one of the biggest things that I find in successful songs is the music matches the mood of the lyric. 
you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. here's this idea that it needs to be mournful. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be pensive. It needs to be all of these things. So I'm not going to come in with like, like a honky tonker and be like, okay, this is about losing someone. It's like, you know, like that's just not what you're going to do. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it's, it's just one of those things you just start kind of messing around and like hitting the, hitting something a little bit melancholy, a little bit, um, I guess sad. Um, so that's, yeah, that's just how that happened. And it's just crazy the journey of that song because it's, you know, we wrote it and then a year later it gets recorded and then it sits on a shelf for a year and we don't know if Kenny's going to release it or what or anything like that. And then we get the track listing and it's on the, on the track listing. So that's obviously a huge reason to celebrate. And then they singled three songs ahead of ours, which is kind of the max yeah. for someone to single off of a record nowadays. Yeah. So um, we thought that was kind of one of those things that we got this great success of landing a song with one of my favorite like artists. I, I grew up on, on Kenny's yeah. music. He was a big reason why I moved to Nashville uh, and, and wanted to write songs just because he's cut so many quality songs that just shaped the genre for so long and i thought that's all it was you know it was just one of those things where man i can say can you cut one of my songs and then i believe it was happy does in front of it it finished its single cycle and i don't know if he's got another album coming out or i don't know if he's got another idea because sometimes you know nowadays they'll single three songs and then they'll put out a single from like not from the album but they'll just come out with a new song so we heard that that was going to be the single over christmas of that year i think of 2020 and then it spent the better part of 2021 on the chart and it went number one december of 21 so that was a really incredible moment for me just because you move here and thousands of people want the same thing right yeah and like, I, I always knew I w- it was going to happen, though, which is really crazy. <laughs> but you kind of have to have that amount of crazy to to like to do this in the first place. So I, I always knew it, w- it was going to happen. It was just one of those things where you just have to almost be blindly optimistic, right, and just keep showing up. And uh, for me, that it happened, and it it was very gratifying to all my days of going in and writing and not getting anything you know what i mean and then yeah. having calls with friends or family and it's just like when well, you've been there for seven years eight years nine years ten years what's going on when are you gonna get a real job what's going yeah. on yeah and it's uh you know just talking a lot of people off the ledge whether it was myself or my my folks or my friends or whoever you know that that don't like completely grasp the game that is is nashville so um and having a publishing deal is is the pros. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm in the NFL. Right. I just haven't like won the ring yet. Right. Yeah, so yeah. um it was one of those moments that just made it all make sense for me and for a bunch of people that, that love me and wanted to see me succeed. So uh it was magical, man. And then Kenny was so cool too, because this doesn't happen all the time, by the way. It's just, uh I've had a lot of cuts with a lot of artists and and the day that song came out, he called me, and I'd never met him before. 
you know, but he called, I just get this number, call from this number, and it says Virgin Islands on the <laughs> caller ID. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't answer it, obviously. And then it's just a text. It's like, hey, it's Kenny, answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wow. The, I picked the phone up on call number two, and uh, we talked for 10 or 15 minutes, and he was just so appreciative for the song. He was so appreciative for, you know, being able to one that being able to be the one that gets to sing that song and that just goes so far for me like for writers in general you know when an artist that's that big takes time out of his day where he's doing press like for probably 12 hours yeah. that day for for the record and getting a call like that it just makes you really value that artist and really value um the community the or it makes you value the artist because he values the community as much as he does, right? Yeah. So just a, a pro tip for any artists listening, like that's a pretty cool gesture, you know? Yep. So but yeah, it was it was magical, man. You wanna play part of it? I, I will. I just realized that I'm not in tune. That's okay. Everyone can hear this. This is what twenty degrees in the back of the truck sounds exactly. like. Exactly. <laughs> and you get in. Um, yeah, the song got nominated for Song of the Year at the ACMs in 2022, which was pretty awesome. I got to go with my wife and, uh, and lose, <laughs> but being nominated is, is pretty much That's all you huge. can ask for. I mean, that was another one of those things where, you know, you get to go and you see all the people that, that you know, yeah. and you don't know if they know you. And then it. It's one of those things where now they know you and and it's, you know, whether it's someone that you've been pitching songs to your whole time in Nashville or an artist that, you know, you love that maybe had no idea that you even wrote songs, you know, yeah. and they'd have seen you around at Red Door or whatever. And um, to be able to, to have that kind of as a stamp is, is pretty sweet. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll do this one. Knowing you probably got your toes in the sand At a bar on a beach in the sun somewhere and Knowing you, you got something cold in your hand You're chatting up a stranger without a care and Knowing you, you're still wild and free and Knowing you Probably way over me The God we were so alive And I was a kid on a carnival ride Holding my breath till the moment When you were gonna leave me too soon But I'd do it all over Damn, it was good knowing you So good, man That's it Yeah, man That's all my hit <laughs> <laughs> I like to preface that now, you know I'll play here And uh, I'll be in a round with someone that's got You know, three or four or five number ones Or, or 
25, whatever it is, and it'll get to my turn. And I'll be like, I'm going to play all my hit right now, <laughs> all three minutes of it. <laughs> uh, hopefully that won't be a joke for too much longer. No, I mean, yeah, it's uh, another great segue. Thank you, Adam. Um, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of other things that have been cut and a lot of things happening right now. Yep. Um, let's uh, let's transition into Cody. I would love to. One of my favorites. A dream cut. Um, yeah, Cody Johnson cut three of my songs for the Leather album, uh, two of which are on the first batch of 12. And there's another one that I guess is waiting for the, the second half of the record. Yeah. So that's just unbelievable because, you know, so many of my friends are are just jealous, I guess, or, or envious that, like, man, I've been working the last year to try to, like, get a for, – for, for him to, like, cut my song. And how'd you get three? I'm like, I have no idea. I really do not have any idea because none of the songs that I wrote were, like, I'm going to write a Kenny song – or, sorry, I'm going to write a Cody song. None, that just doesn't happen. And it, maybe that's a lesson for me and, and for everyone is to, like, not necessarily, like, try to target someone, you know? I think the reason that – I wrote knowing you is because I wasn't trying to write knowing you yeah. for Kenny. And yeah. I think the reason that Cody cut three of my songs is I wasn't trying to write three Cody songs, Yeah, which Great is, a, there's a lot of reverse psychology happening there and it's very difficult to unplug from that. And I'm guilty of, of that as, as everyone else is, but um, it's, it's amazing. He's, he's one of my favorite artists uh, out there right now and just everything he stands for sonically lyrically um just he's just an incredible artist and he's someone that honestly folks like me have been begging for for as long as i've been in nashville honestly yeah because you know i moved here in 2009 got signed in 2011 and i wanted to write songs like craig wiseman and jeffrey Steele and tom douglas and i was doing my best impression of them you know early on and then the bro the bro country wave hit and i didn't have any idea how to to write those songs so obviously i wasn't getting any cuts and stuff and then cody comes along and he's cutting outside songs and he's a legitimate cowboy and yep. he's a legitimate he's a legitimate country artist making traditional country music yes yeah. it's, it's just like you know, you're out there in a field, like praying that, like, please send me someone that will cut real songs about real things without like hip hop beats in them. And then, like, boom, he shows up and it's like, wow, that was what we all been looking for. So the fact that he's taken a liking to a handful of my songs is amazing. Um, he's so you've just, got Double Down yes. and Whiskey Bent on this, this first one. Yep. Um, Talk about uh, talk about those songs. Like how how did yeah. those come about? So double down was is track number two on leather, and I wrote that I think in 2018, which is another really cool thing about Cody. He doesn't care if it was written this year, last year, or ten years ago even. Yeah. Um, so he can't obviously was a lot older than than double down being five years old, but I wrote that song with Clint Daniels and Jeff Hyde. And another one of those situations where I had that idea, I had that title and how to 
spin it and make it mean a couple different things. And those guys jumped all over it. And I mean, Clint's had multiple songs on this record as well. And, and Jeff Hyde has written all your favorite Eric Church songs, yeah. all the ones that do that thing, right? Where yeah. it's like, that was a cold one or record record year, you know, like he's that guy. So I knew that presenting that guy with that idea could be good, you know? Yeah. So I came in with that and, and they knocked it out of the park and it's one of those songs that everyone loved when we turned it in, but no one cut it. So, you know, three years go by, four years go by, and I get a call from Clint, and he had just done a festival, it's called a Vaquero Festival in San Antonio, which was apparently like very highfalutin. And uh, it was Clint, Randall King, and Cody sitting around a campfire playing songs for the people that put on the festival. And Clint's running out of material because they've been playing for a long time, you know, and, and Cody and Randall can go and do two hours, like, like no <laughs> yeah. problem. But yeah. as a songwriter, I'm only good for about six or seven before I start needing an iPad to like, remember lyrics. Yeah. So Clint's running out of songs and he's like, man, I, this is kind of the last one that I remembered how to play. So I started playing it and he's like, Cody grabbed me after I played that song. And he said, has anyone cut that song? Cause I'm going to cut that song. And that was, that was two years before he cut the song, you know? So he put it on hold and it's just one of those things that you hear. You're like, Oh, that's awesome. Cody held the song. He wants to said he wants to cut it, but a lot of things can change over sure. know, two years. So that one hung in there and he, and he recorded it. And what's really cool about both of those songs, double down and whiskey Ben on the record is, his band played on those songs. Those are the only two songs that the Rock and CJB played on the record, which to me is is very special because uh, not everyone's touring bands go into the studio and yeah and do that. So um, I love that song. And and Whiskey Bent came along like the greatest lesson I've ever learned in a writing room. I was with two of my really really great friends, Mikey Reeves and Rocky Block. And it was the first time that the three of us had written together. And I had thrown out three or four things, and they had thrown out three or four things. And it was one of those days where we started at 11, and I had a 4 o'clock mm -hmm. as well. So it had got to 2 or 2.30, and we didn't have anything because we kind of spun our wheels on three or four different ideas, talking about them but not really getting them off the ground. And it was 2.30, and I said, I've got another ride at 4, so I probably need to leave in the next, you know, hour, hour and 15. And Rocky says, okay, I'll just, you know, see if you can do your magic trick on, like, one of these songs. Like, just make it mean something else, you know, do, like, the the title flip. And uh, he's like, I'm going to read off my, my bad title list. And he said, Whiskey Bent. And... We all know that song by Hank Jr. and Whiskey Benton Hellbound. And he's like, you know, Whiskey Benton Hellbound, but but if it was like, there's got to be a different way to do it, you know? Because the obvious way is to just, you know, tonight I'm going downtown and yeah. whatever, I'm, I'm getting messed up. Yeah. So I was like, I couldn't help but just do the kind of the Mad Libs thing on it and kind of mess with the bent part 
right? And I was just like, what stops that have bent, like straighten up? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, straighten up a whiskey man, like almost like a, like Mad Libs, right? You just yeah. kind of like yeah. say something, what the first thing that comes to your mind. And they both looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. seriously? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's do that. And then it, it immediately appeared to me as someone apologizing, right? Um, so I, I remember picking up the guitar and just doing the, like, just find, try to find something. It's the same way as knowing you, you know, like when you got a heavier topic, you got to, you have to kind of come at it at a different angle that isn't a party song. Right. You know, or like the, the, that whole thing where it's like, oh, it's just going to be a down the middle, like country pitch. It's like, you kind of had to find a little bit of a different sauce for it. I hate my guitar right now, by the way. Um, so I, I picked up the guitar. I started playing this kind of thing that sounded remorseful. It sounded honest, kind of desperate even, you know. And we wrote that song in, I mean, we wrote that song in an hour, maybe, maybe 45 15 minutes. 15 minutes to spare. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's just one of those things, man. It was a great lesson for me because, you know, I could have just said, you know, we've been at it for three hours. I'd like to go get some food before I go right again for another four hours or whatever it is. Right. And probably just threw in the towel, you know, and then this song wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So just one of those things that that taught me to stay in it, give it the full time, you know. Right. Don't just bail because you didn't get anything or don't bail because you threw out a few ideas and no one bit on them. And then the other guy threw out a few ideas and. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you get into those situations a lot. And I feel a lot of anxiety sometimes from myself and from other writers that I'm with when no one bites at the first thing that you throw out or a couple things that you throw out. So then this like this heaviness falls over the room mm-hmm. when when that not necessarily shouldn't happen. Right. Because you just hang around and, you know, shoot it a little bit and just keep talking and, and keep vibing and keep looking for someone to say something like that because you just never know because you know i didn't walk in with that title and that idea or and 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 rocky didn't either minus the title part he just you know didn't have the right put together that way so finding it in the room can happen as as often as bringing it into the room which Mm -hmm. i feel like is a huge lesson for me and for hopefully a lot, a lot of other people. So um, one of my favorite songs I've, I've ever been a part of, and hopefully it gets the chance to, to be on the radio and, and hit people. Um, yeah. I played this here. I think the week I wrote it. Yeah. We've, I think it was January, January 23. No, January 22. I wrote that song January 22. And I played here. I want to say like, if not the week I wrote it, like the next week I wrote it. And I remember you were here and you texted me about it, which is really cool. Yeah. I was standing right up there in the balcony and I was like, dang, man. So uh, it's funny you say, like, I hope people have the chance to hear it on the radio. And it's like songs like that. Like when you said that, I literally had to like stop and go, wait, it's not like because it because it's I hear those yeah. songs that I love so much yeah. from, you know, because you play here so often mm-hmm. that in my head, it's just like it's one of my favorite songs and right. I feel like I hear it all the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I actually, I, uh, 
I want to talk about, um, there's some, there's some lines in there that are just, I mean, just so, so good. And, and, uh, it's got me picking up the pieces, getting back in touch with Jesus for some grace in case one of y'all comes back again. I'm just trying to straighten up what whiskey bet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just lyrically, it's, it's so simple yet. So, so deep and, and yeah. good. Um, so I mean, you just said it like that song poured out in like a, around an hour. Yep. Um, and to to have a song that you do that quickly with lyrics that are that good. I yeah. mean, like, was that just something that you felt like God was in the room with you that day? Definitely. It's one of those things that there's a couple of different uh, explanations. I feel like one of which, yes, like there certain days that magic, that spirit whatever you want to call it is there and some days it isn't and you know, you know, but when you find an idea like that, um, and you write every day, it, it shows up a lot more if that makes sense. Because when you're writing every day, you're staying sharp and whether you're writing like songs you don't care about or anything, I I write a lot of funny songs that like people like or don't like, but it keeps me writing and it keeps the, the knife sharp, so to speak. You know, and I'll feel good for weeks at a time, and then I won't feel good for weeks at a time. As far as you know, just feeling like I've got that that edge, that that thing. Um, so as long as you're writing, it, they could be terrible songs. It could be B minuses that may, might, might never get cut. But what you're doing is you're staying sharp for when that moment comes along, like this, mm-hmm. like someone says something and it clicks in your head. And you're able to write a song in 45 minutes because of all the other work you've done. You've stayed sharp, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like sports. It's like you, you know, you can't go out there like the first day of spring training and throw 120 pitches and strike out 15 guys. You got to build up to that. And then maybe over the course of the season, you get to that point where you're going to log 200 innings and throw hundred pitches a game and do all that kind of thing. But for me, that's what writing every day is. You're building that up and you're building that up and you're, you're getting to the point where when an idea comes down the tracks like that, you're just pff, hot knife through butter. Like, yeah, finally I got one of the ideas, yeah. you know, that I can just, just knock out. Um, but a lot of it is just, it's just the magic. It's, it's, mm. it's God. It's, um, it's just this energy of knowing exactly where you're supposed to go and everybody's on the same page. Yeah. And it's almost just like you just channel it in a way. It It's really, it, that's the best part about songwriting too. I mean, it's not the awards, it's not the money, it's not the like notoriety or what, whatever you, you would call it. It's the moment when something like that falls out of the sky or falls out of your head or what. I don't know if it hits your head out of the sky. <laughs> I don't know how it happens, but it happens. And it doesn't happen every day or week or month sometimes. Yeah. Um, but when it does, it's just like you're floating. It's like you you don't have any sort of gravity. You're just here and you're expressing this thing. And, and you, like I said, you're on the same page and you know exactly where the song is supposed to go. And you don't even have to talk about it. It's just like yeah, you just say that where it's it's really wild it's it's kind of supernatural in a, in a way yeah um and that's yeah that's how that song happened and uh 
I'm just so glad that it ended up with Cody as well. And yeah. not only uh, did Cody cut it, um, but Jelly Roll got featured right. on it. Right. So how how cool is Which that? Which is man? awesome. Yeah. You know, um, it's one of those things that it would be a, a wonderful song, just Cody by himself. But yeah. then adding the levity and the adding the story of Jelly to that song, just I think, makes it that much more powerful. Yeah. You know, because he's lived that. And Cody's lived that. And it's one of those songs that, um, you know, he wasn't supposed to feature on that, actually, apparently. Because we're all, we're, we're kept in the dark about a lot of this stuff. But then the record comes out and they do press and stuff and they say, they say this, but he was supposed to be on um, Jesus Loves You. And I guess it came up in conversation, like, what, other, you know, Jelly's like, what other songs have you cut? Like, I can't wait to hear this record. And Cody said him that one whiskey bit because he was excited about it and then jelly was like dude i have to sing on this one like i know you wanted me on the other one but like I, this <laughs> this is the one i'm i'm gonna sing on so it was one of those things that uh <laughs> it kind of happened in a you know fortuitous way but yeah i'll play, you play little, part of that yeah, yeah i would love to Put a hole in my wallet, put a hole in my wall, put a hole out lonely in this 2 a.m. phone call. It put your Honda on the highway and my Chevy in a ditch. Just had to call you up cause I ain't touched that stuff ever since. Made me say some things I shouldn't Made me break some things I wouldn't Like the heart that you kept putting in my hands Got me picking up the pieces Getting back in touch with Jesus For grace in case one of y'all comes back again I'm just trying to straighten up what whiskey been Yes, sir. So good, man. Thank you. Love it. One of my favorites. This episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. Well, we got uh, we got a little bit more time here. You've got uh, cut uh, on Randall King's yeah uh, new album and uh, very excited some, about that uh, Dirk. So let's let's talk about both of those mm -hmm. if, if we uh, if we can. Yeah. Um, so Randall came along. Shoot, when did I meet Randall? Twenty fifteen or so, twenty sixteen, and he was just starting out. Um, he would come to town every now and again. And I would see him around, and then I would, I think we wrote together maybe 2018 or 19, and 
he cut that song. It's called Small Town BS, and that's on this EP that he put out last year, I want to say. And he was gearing up to make this new record into the neon for Warner Brothers, and I got an email from his manager, and they were they were kind of getting pigeonholed a little bit just as far as pitches go because yeah. he's such a great honky-tonk singer. He's such a great traditional country artist um, that they were kind of getting pigeonholed with honky-tonk neon boots thing. It's just like, it's almost like you take a grab bag of country words and you pull from them and you <laughs> yeah. set them out and then you like write the song. And um, and those don't, don't always fit an artist or maybe he's already done all of those things which you know yeah. he had you in a honky tonk and he's had you know different songs about that so i think they were just looking for something a little bit more out of the box for him and um i sent him this song because it sounded to me it sounded like gary allen and like first record dirks and i know that he loves both of those artists and i i sent it it's it's a little bit more progressive perhaps for him but um but he loved it and he ended up cutting it and it's called burns like her and it came out awesome and it's on it's been on new boots for the last like three months or so and it's it's doing really well um i think it stands out in his repertoire as well because because of how progressive it is but when you put his voice on something it automatically just comes into this world you know what i mean so yeah. regardless uh I mean, it's a real band. It's not programmed like it's it's not pop. It's just cool. Yeah, and it's it's Randall, and it's it's kind of a next a next um, level for him as far as just sonically getting to that that place that that no one's really at right now. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. And that album that. comes out in about a week. Yep. Yeah. So yep. January 26th. So. That's right. I'm super excited. About That's that. gonna be awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a there's a few other things too um that are supposed to get cut kind of on the about to get cut list. I don't know if I'm supposed to dig into those or not or give the you know give up the the secrets so to speak, but I'm super excited about quite a few things. Um but the main things for me right now is definitely Randall Randall and Cody. Um I had a song on Ian Monsick's last record too, White Buffalo, that mm. is really special. Um, what, what else did I have last year? Uh, two on uh, Nate Smith. I think Nate's like one of those artists that is gonna have all the chances in the world to like to be that like awesome radio artist, yeah, stadium so artist good. because he cuts really great songs that fit his voice perfectly that are just like songs that you want to hear on the radio and you want to hear at a, at a stadium, you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, I had two on, on his album and I, I just think he's, he's one of those ones, you know, as far as the next crop goes. Um, Lauren Watkins, I had one with her, um, last year too. It's called Ole Miss. And I think she's one of those ones as well. Um, she's had a, had a great team, had a great producer, Joey Moy. Um, I think she's really special. She has a unique perspective on on country music. So yeah. I think that's really exciting too. Um, previous cuts, like 
my first cut, I should talk about this. My first cut in Nashville was with Dirk Bentley and, uh, is in 2016. So if you do the math on that, that's, you know, seven years of being here and five years of being in a publishing deal. So yeah, doesn't always happen, you know, as quick as, as you want it to. But, you know, Dirk's is, is one of those artists to me that he's kind of always defined what cool is. Um, his first record, his second record, his third record. I think this, I think the one I'm on was his fifth. It was the Black Album. Um, but one of those songs, I, I wrote it with Luke Dick, who's one of my best friends and an absolute genius. And we wrote it in 2012. Wow. And everyone immediately said, oh, this is a great Dirk song. So the whole team of people surrounding Dirk's gets bombarded with the song yeah. from our publishers, right? And then, they're like, I don't know. I don't know if he would say that. I don't know if he would say that. And then Luke continues to climb the ladder and he uh, starts writing with Dirks. And he's like, or Dirk says, man, you're so cool. Like, I love everything that you do. Like, we've written two songs now and they're my favorite. Like, if you have an ace up your sleeve, like, send it to me. Because I, I know I don't need to write every song on this record. Like, I just send it to me. So he sends him, <laughs> he sends him roses in a time machine. And he goes, I love this. This is awesome. Like, I want to record this. <laughs> and I'm like, why is it so hard? <laughs> like for, you know, just, just send the artist the songs. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get fired if you send them a song they don't yeah. like. It, the, all they're going to do is say no. But that would have been a lot quicker than waiting four years to, you know, for us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ironic and it, it happens all the time. But, uh, it's just one of those lessons of like, man, I got to get these guys phone number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just yeah. get these guys phone number. I can send him these songs instead of getting a bunch of no's from everyone. But um, I love Dirks, and he's got another song of mine that he loves a lot right now. Um, he's supposed to go in next month, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. I hope, hopefully, it does. Um, I also wrote two songs with Zach Brown Band over COVID, which was crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, because they put them they put them both out. Um, I've been writing with my friend Ben Simonetti, who produced has produced their last like few records. And uh, he called me one day and he's like, "Man, do you want to do some like song starts for Zach, which is a really hot thing right now, where you kind of just write a verse or maybe you write a verse chorus and see if the artist likes it. It's kind of like pitching them a song, but yeah. the song isn't done, so they're they're able to kind of put their their own spin on it, which is is really cool yeah. because." You know, I feel like a lot of songs of mine have died before they've got to, you know, being recorded because maybe in the second verse I went in a direction that the artist wouldn't want to go to or maybe in the first verse. So when you have a purely outside song like that, um, it has to just perfectly line up with what the artist wants to say. Mm -hmm. But when you do these starts, you kind of leave it open saying, hey, like, change whatever you want. Um, so you're kind of pitching it before it's done. So... Anyways, Ben and I did two two starts like that for Zach, and he took him down. He went down to Zach's in uh, in Georgia, and they they finished the two songs, and they put them both out in in 2020, which was super cool because that's another one of those groups that like I was jamming hard when Foundation came out in 2005 or six, whenever it was. I was I just graduated high school. I was in college, and like that was just an amazing record, you know? Um, so 
to get to the point where they were singing my songs, I was like, this is, this is awesome. So that's, that's the cool part about being in Nashville and specifically like being the age that I am, the artists that I grew up on. And I had this like real connection with when I, whether I was in high school or right. college are, are obviously still around and killing it. I mean, Kenny does stadiums and yeah. Zach does stadiums and they're going on tour together this year. Um, but they're still like, they're accessible. Yeah. Like they weren't, you know, I mean, George, George Strait's still making records, but I'm trying to think of another example, like for me to come to town and be like, oh man, be awesome to get a cut with so-and-so like the timing has to line up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to get a George Jones cut. Like I'm not going to get a Merle Haggard cut, but I can get those guys cuts with those guys. So yeah. that's a very special thing for me because it just makes me excited about music. Like I was a kid in, in my bedroom, like learning guitar again, you know, because yeah. I was, I was playing anything but mine in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. I was playing chicken fried in my bedroom. I was, you know, doing all those things. So it's just, it's incredible. Um, to have songs with those people because they taught me so much about how to write country songs. Yeah. And I told that to Kenny and I think I kind of freaked him out, but I was like, dude, you taught me how to, you know, write country songs. Like I was 12 and you know, and he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, you've been a legend for like 30 years, bro. So you gotta, you gotta own, own it. it. You gotta yeah. own it. Like yeah. you're, you're the dude. That's like, one of the things I love about you too, man. You're just so humble. Um, you know, it's like, it, it's, when when I moved to town, it was kind of the same thing. Like you know, just looking up to all these guys and like, mm -hmm. and I moved here to be an artist, not a writer. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, kind of fell into the writing side of the world. But um, you know, all these all these artists that I looked up to, and you know, now through the years, can call them friends right. in a way. You know, and right. like you 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 can you build these relationships. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's not a lot, but there's a handful of people in town that I've seen, you know, come and have nothing and kind of build up and get to that point. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you don't hear from them anymore. They're, yeah. you know, they, they kind of like their ego gets to them and yeah. all that. And, um, you know, it's guys like you that just, you know, stay humble and it's like, you know, that's, that's what's going to make, uh, you so successful in the long run. Too, yeah. Man. It, it, you know, I think you are the way you are and it's it's hard to kind of change your stripes. Um, at least for me, because I want to, I want to do this forever. Yeah. Like I want to, I want to write songs until I physically can't write songs anymore. So I just, I reckon the best way to do that is just to be good to everyone and, you know, make, make friends with everyone and stay friends with everyone. Yeah. And I think I have a better shot at doing that with more friends than, than less, I guess. Yeah. If that makes sense. So yep, 100%. it's just one of those things that I, that, like I said, just long longevity is, is my, my key. And, um, I, sh I should also shout out, um, OG listening room crew coming station. Um, I played there with Matt Rogers back in the day, like yeah. 2011, honestly, probably 2011 or when did, when did you all open over there? Uh, let's see. Um, it might have been uh, Cummins Station was 2008 that we opened okay. up. So 2011, 12 is right around when we were switching to uh, yep. to Second Avenue. But but yeah, it was. I think I think I originally it met you. It might, been, it might have been nine or ten. Yeah, I think I originally met you around 2008 or nine. Mm -hmm. 
um, in Key West, maybe. Yeah, that would have been uh, my first Key West was yeah. 2009. Yeah, we were at the Key West Songwriters Festival. I think that's where we first met. Yep. And um, but yeah, man, that that OG OG crew back then. Yeah. Yep. It's a it's an awesome place to play, and it's one of those things where, you know, when you ask people if they want to play rounds, like you can get to a certain level and and not always want to do it, whether it's, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of writers, like the more, the, the bigger they get, like they start getting corporate gigs and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? But this is a place that people still love to play because it's downtown and it's got that energy of like, it, it is, it is a listening room, but it has that energy of like, a downtown bar, like when you play the right song, like people go crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the perfect match of like, everyone's going to listen to your songs, but when you play the one that like hits, hits them, like they're not afraid to like lose it, you know, whether which I think, they've which ever is, heard it or not. Right. Yeah. Which I think is, is really cool. And I mean, I don't, I've got countless stories of playing here. I mean, I played here last weekend and someone came up to me and they're like, I've never been here before. I didn't even know this was a thing. You know, like, I can't believe like that you guys do this, you know, like this is, this is crazy. And, you know, for me, I'm like, well, I've been doing this for a long time, but it doesn't matter because it could be someone's first time at any time. Right. So right. Um, that's important for me to remember is um, every time you're up on stage at a place like this, like we always say like, who's, Who's from out of town? You know, 80% of the hands go up. So maybe they've been here 20 times. Maybe they've been here 10 times. Maybe they've been here no times. So it's just kind of that thing where we are kind of representative to Nashville. I feel a lot of um, purpose and a lot of responsibility when it comes to that because uh, we're not we're not the memes, you know, like <laughs> that kind of go around about whatever – downtown is or isn't yeah um like this is this is the actual music industry like we are the people that that write the songs with or for the artists that you all go and see and love and people don't know that that's a thing yeah like i when i when i moved first moved here people asked me what i was doing here like from back home and i'm I'm gonna be a songwriter and they're like are you saying tim mcgraw doesn't write all the songs he releases i'm like you would be shocked <laughs> to yeah. know um, that he does not, yeah. or and and we love that, right? But um, job security, yeah. People from out of town, though, just they don't. They, I think coming here is a great perspective for them because it kind of um, kind of opens this Pandora's box of like what Nashville is yeah. and, and is about. Because from the outside in, you can have a perspective. I'm like, man, I'm gonna go get like sloshed on Broadway and like get on a tavern and go see someone play Luke Bryan covers at whatever bar. And that's what Nashville is to you. And that's really fun because I've, I've been to places where I like to party too, but there's a whole community of people. If you just come up like, what is it? Three blocks or four blocks yeah. from, from Broadway. There's a whole community of people here where it's a window to the world of like how the actual industry works which i think is really special yeah i think it's you know it's it's even shifting more like you know because i you know i'm i grew up with tapes and cds mm -hmm. right so like 
You know, I mean, I can remember when, you know, first albums would come out, whether it's, you know, Garth or Keith Urban or yeah. Dirks or whoever, like I would literally walk into Walmart or Target or whatever and buy the album, mm -hmm. come out, put it in my car and sit in the parking lot and listen to it from front to back. Because yeah. it wasn't, it was also like there was an art in the way that the songs flowed through the album, right? And I would flip through all the, all the pages yeah. and look at the pictures and read like, you know, oh, okay, so this person wrote this, this person yeah. wrote this, and like all of those things. And now in the digital world, you know, there's so much content out there because um, yeah. number one, it's a lot easier to put music out, and you know, and, but but it you gotta you gotta go through the steps on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you're listening to go find those liner yeah, notes, and, and people don't do it. Yep. So yeah, I think um, yeah, it's just people people hear these songs on the radio or, or wherever and they just mm -hmm. think, okay, well that person, that's yep. their song. Yep. So, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us are okay with the anonymity. I think, I think that's actually one of the greatest parts about being a songwriter is, is the anonymous nature that we can kind of freely move about the cabin, so to speak, and yeah. like not get messed with. Um, I've had so many people playing here or playing other places and they're like, man, like, why don't you sing the songs, man? And I'm like, I don't think you know what it entails to be like a superstar artist. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't just like snap your fingers and turn into one. First of all, like you've got to do years and years of like, you know, vans. You go from vans <laughs> to sprinter vans, maybe to buses. But like, how many artists do we know that aren't in buses and they've been doing it for a it's long time? A long like, time. Yeah. But people think tour buses are glamorous, and also like they're not. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? When you've got 15 guys in there, right? Like, um, it's just, it's Roll one of those things. Your and, bed and, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's not what everyone thinks it's cracked up to be. And you really have to, ha like, you want, you have to want that, the connection every day, every single day. Not, you can't just half ass it. Like, you've got to yeah. want that. Because that today, like today's standards, you've got to be on TikTok every day. And you've got to be on Instagram every day, posting, creating content, like letting people in to your life and then for me like i've i've got two kids and I, I love them more than anything i love spending time with them i love i love going into nashville and getting away from them <laughs> and writing a song but then i love turning around and going home right every single night like that's incredible yeah so um the life of a songwriter is is it it feels endangered at the moment just because of streaming and stuff but um it can it could also be really great because you just get to be at home and and be anonymous and yeah. you know and make make your like I this is a bit that I I stole from someone but I've been I've been making a living at it for a long time but I'd love to make a killing at it at some point <laughs> like that's how I feel about songwriting yeah uh, yeah well dude I uh, I appreciate the time absolutely. so much man it's been a blast and uh, as we wrap up uh, if you are going back to eight year old Adam in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, what advice would you give yourself today? Uh, I would say learn pro tools, bro. <laughs> <what> I, would <laughs> I never did. Um, and I feel like I'd be so much further if I did, but, yeah. uh, that's a, that's kind of a jackass answer, but I would just say that, you know, there, I, I read this Bob Dylan book when I was in college, it's called Chronicles. And he said, if you have a dream, keep it a secret. And basically, like, 
I kind of adhered that advice for a long time, and I I kept me wanting to move here a secret because Bob was saying, you know, keep a secret so no one can kill it. Yeah, it being your dream, right? Um, I think that was really good advice because I did that for a long time. But I think nowadays, like, man, if you have a dream like that, just just do everything you can to to chase it. Like, it doesn't it doesn't need to be a secret. You don't you don't need to protect it. I think it's something that if you have it, you'll you'll be shocked to find that a lot of people will want that for you as well. Mm. Um, so I think just just chasing that and and not taking any sort of friction f- from it, I think it would just be to to move here, like like I did, but move here and and don't look back because you know getting around people that are like-minded is everything because yeah. you know you move here in a year or two and everyone's like when are you moving home and i'm like i am home. like what are you talking about you know because when so you find good. people that you're that that you're meant to be around like yeah you know so, yeah yeah that's it for me i love it great advice all right dude thank you so much for hanging and uh let's drink some shots yeah yeah (laughs) all right everybody out there thank you so much for tuning in this has been another episode of stories behind the songs you've been listening to adam james and i am chris blair we will see you next time thank you for listening to another episode of stories behind the songs with chris blair Make sure to give us a follow on Spotify if you enjoyed this episode and make sure you click that notification button so you can keep notified when new episodes come out. We release brand new episodes every Tuesday and you can find us on YouTube at Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to send us a comment letting us know what you thought of the episodes. We love getting your feedback and share this with your friends. The more we grow, the more that we can keep doing this. It's our mission to bring you all these great stories behind the songs from some of Nashville's most iconic artists and songwriters, publishers, producers, everyone in between, and a lot of my great friends. We love what we do and we love sharing their stories with you. We appreciate all of the continued support. Thanks also to all of our sponsors and we will see you all next week.